I wonder how many of you journal. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about, but if you journal, you probably do. So can I just get a, a show of hands? How many of you journal? Excellent. A few of you. Most of you don't. I do hope that changes, because it can be a really valuable thing to do. I've been uh, writing down my thoughts and things that I feel the Lord's speaking to me, reflecting on things that I'm reading in my Bible for about the last three years. And it's known as journaling because the book in which one is writing is called A Journal, and this is mine. And I've filled over the last three years about a dozen of these journals, and I've found it very helpful sometimes to go back and read through over the months and read through the way that, you know, prayers have been answered and see how the Lord has spoken to me and resolved problems. And uh, as I converse with God with a pen in my hand, sometimes I'm writing prayers, sometimes I'm just thinking, wrestling through a passage of Scripture, I found it really helpful to go back and look at how I've engaged with the Bible and how it's spoken to me. Now, I felt prompted this week to do a slightly different talk to the one I had intended. And so I want to share with you something that I was thinking and praying through about a week ago. And I hope you'll find it helpful. At various points in the talk, I'll move from using we and us language to using me and I, and then returning to applying it, you know, what I'm saying to us again. Now, it's because I've taken many of the sentences that I'll say tonight directly from my journal. Uh, in which, of course, I was thinking these, through these things on a personal level. I was focusing on a verse, one verse from a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, the book of Ephesians. Ephesus is in modern-day Turkey. And as I read it and engaged with it, I looked at various translations of the Bible. Now, the Bible was originally written in Hebrew and Greek with the occasional bit of Aramaic, Essentially, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, the New Testament is written in Greek. And so translators have translated it into most of the languages of the world, and our English translators, obviously into English, doing their utmost to bring out the original meaning intended by the writer. So we have different translations of the Bible in English, which were developed to allow for changes in the use of language, and also to help the Bible be accessible to different kinds of readers. So from time to time, you might find it helpful if you don't already do this, and especially if you tend to always read from one translation, to compare different translations. This can bring out slightly different sort of elements in a passage, like picking up, picking up, and like an ornament, and looking at it from some different angles. You'll see more richness in there. Incidentally, I've forgotten to put this in my notes, but one brilliant way of doing it, I've got a... Bible app, it's like a brown, rounded square. And was it by Craig Rochelle's church, Life Church, isn't it, who do it? Anyway, search for that. It's called version. So you just touch it, boom, and you can get all sorts of uh, translations of the Bible, and you can just touch on a passage. It just changes to the next translation. You can also ask it to talk to you, and you've got, like, incredible narrators reading you the scriptures if you're too lazy to actually look with your eyes. <laughs> so, the verse I was reading last week was Ephesians 2.10, and so let's just look at it in some of these translations. Ephesians 2 verse 10 from the New International Version, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. The message sounds slightly different. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does. 
the good work he has gotten ready for us to do, work we had better be doing. The English Standard Version, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And then lastly, the American Standard Version, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God afore prepared that we should walk in them. Again, slightly older language. This verse is talking about good works that we are called to do. Just to be clear, we are not saved by our good works, okay? We are saved by grace. We can add nothing to the work that's already been done, the work of Jesus on the cross. We are not in any way saved by our good works, but we are saved unto good works, saved to good works. We can add nothing to the work Jesus did on the cross. Accepting God's invitation to put our faith in Jesus is all that is needed for our salvation, as I talked about last week. However, if we are following Jesus, it will change our life. We will find ourselves wanting to cooperate with becoming more like Jesus in the way we live. The first two uh, translations I've read to you, the NIV and the message versions, use the word do and doing regarding these works. While the ESV and the ASV, didn't you, did you spot there, emphasize this idea of walking, walking in good works. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And I quite like that perspective offered by those last two translations. God has prepared good works. This is where I switch back in, into my own first person, okay? God has prepared good works specifically for me. I am God's workmanship, designed, wired in a certain way, gifted, talented, given opportunity. I'm resourced for works. So there is work for me to do, good works, which God has put on my plate. I'm God's servant and want to serve him by working on those things, by doing those works. Now, as I've often taught, my task is to discern which of the many works I could fill my time doing are those which God has prepared in advance for me to do, and which are the many possible things that could come onto my plate, invitations I could say yes to or tasks I could take responsibility for, which of these many things might in fact be works that God's prepared for someone else to do. And what I need to do is discern which is which and do just the stuff that God's designed for me. When Debbie and I first planted this church, we wanted it to be a place of good works, just a lot of good works in the very best meaning of that word, where people would be released to use their gifts to be able to do the things that God had designed for them to do. And it's one of the things I love about being part of this church. There's so much good stuff going on here. Amazing teams to join, serving on a Sunday or in one of the compassion ministries. There are so many others to, uh, opportunities to join with others in serving here and way beyond the church. Because we can do good works on our own and they're somewhat limited. But when you gather with another hundred, you can really make an impact for the kingdom of God. And that's why we organize so many areas of ministry. A few weeks ago, I had this spontaneous opportunity to join the team serving in Trink Kids. And I had just a wonderful morning, coloring, making dozens of 
woolen pom-poms and chatting with some of our delightful children. There are so many opportunities to serve God here, let alone the other opportunities which present themselves in our workplaces, at university, at the school gate, with our neighbors, neighbors, and so on. And in my desire to serve God well, to do the good work that God has prepared in advance for me to do, the trap that I, along with everyone else, am in danger of falling into is striving. The desire to go all out, to achieve, to continually perform is what the author of The Burnout Society, Byung Chul Han, describes as the defining feature of our age. He says that our continual desire for self-improvement and achievement has created an overachievement culture where we're unable to accept our limitations and say no to things that we cannot or should not do. And it's making us physically and mentally ill. Now, reading these four different translations of this verse, what I don't think Paul is saying is strive. He's not exhorting us, you know, to strive to work for God. It's quite the opposite. He's encouraging us to do what God has called us to do and let the other things that we might do go. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus addresses this thought. I'll be reading from the message translation. Matthew 11, verse 28 to 30. Jesus said this, Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Jesus says, are you tired? Are you worn out? And if so, his invitation is to walk with him and to live freely and lightly, to learn from him, to see how he does it. And what do we learn as we read the stories, the gospel accounts, the first four books in the New Testament part of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as we read about Jesus' life and see how he does it? What do we learn? We see that uh, he perfectly models the rhythm of work and rest. He was, of course, the person who was most effective in the whole of history and the extending of God's kingdom. And yet his schedule wasn't just on it the whole time. He, it breathed. It had periods of intensity and periods of withdrawal. And in this passage, Jesus extends that promise of freedom and rest, described as the unforced rhythms of grace to us. We're invited, invited to partner with Jesus, not striving in the work of extending his kingdom, but freely and lightly keeping company with him. And Jesus' encouragement to us is to serve him from a place of rest. I wonder how you would answer Jesus' question, are you tired, are you worn out, are you burned out on religion? Some of us may feel that we've been working hard for God, and we may feel tired, we may feel worn out, we may even feel burnt out. Jesus mentions here religion. Religion is essentially 
working, even striving to please God, to somehow earn his approval. Religion is about what we do in an attempt to get close to God. But we are not called to be religious. Sometimes people think you are. If you go to church, you must be a religious person. I hope not. I don't ever want to become religious. We're not called to religion. We are called to relationship, which is a very, very different thing. The ASV and the ESV translations of the verse from Ephesians emphasize walking in these good works. And that speaks to me of the journey. That's what happens when you walk. You go on a journey. The journey here of following Jesus, of growing in becoming more like him. It speaks of walking with God, keeping in step with the Spirit. You know, we often talk about a relationship with Jesus, but Jesus is the way to the Father. It's the Spirit of God, it's the Spirit of Jesus who dwells within us, the Holy Spirit. And so as we walk, we're walking with all three, the triune God, keeping in step with the Spirit. Walking in good work works feels more like a lifestyle than a list of to-dos. It speaks of a way of living where what God has designed for me and has called me to do come into alignment in an hour-by-hour, day-by-day, natural way. Walking in good work speaks to me of a way of being, not just doing. We are called to be human beings, not human doings. So my life is not a to-do list of good works, work, I'd better be doing, which speaks really of, of oughts, that we'll be in trouble if we don't do them, like some teacher being cross for us for not doing our homework, as I experienced throughout my entire school life regularly. But rather, it's a way, a way of life responding on the journey to the opportunities, the promptings of the Holy Spirit, the divine alignments of my gifts and talents with needs that God highlights and leads me towards meeting. And this is a theme that recurs throughout the Bible in verses such as these. Psalm 89, 15. Talk about walking, the journey. Blessed are those who walk in the light of your presence, O Lord. Psalm 128, verse 1. Blessed are those who walk in obedience to him. Isaiah 2, verse 3. He will teach us his ways that we may walk in his paths. Now, as I was writing these verses in my journal, I remembered something which happened when I was 24 years old. Uh, and back in 1984, I was at a conference in London, the Westminster Conference, the first major one that John Wimber did, who started the Vineyard Movement. And three people came up to me during that. They didn't know me. Uh, they came from three different countries, an English person, an American person, and somebody else. And each of them gave me a word. This is really one of the first times I'd ever experienced that. And it was really quite profound because though I didn't write them down, they all essentially said exactly the same thing over the course of a couple of days. And so essentially what they said was, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Walk in his ways and he'll bless you. And I looked that up and tried to find it and discovered Psalm 37 verse 4 is probably what they were quoting. Take delight in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. And at least two of these three added this second sentence. And uh, I'm not sure where that comes from exactly. I've searched the Bible. I can't find that specific phrase. But here are a couple of verses which say that in different words. Deuteronomy 30 verse 16. If you obey the commandments by walking in his ways then the Lord will bless you. 
Psalm 128, 1-2, Blessed is everyone who walks in his ways. You shall be happy and it shall be well with you. And that, you know, three people saying the same thing to me in a couple of days when I'm a young, like, I was excited about God, but that's about all, you know. And uh, it's been very precious to me. You know, delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. What was the second part? <laughs> Walk in his ways and he'll bless you, right? It's that profound, I forgot the second part. But you're, you understand, it's not easy being on a stage and trying to like get all your words in the right order. So it'll be better for me all round if I do the works that God has ordained for me to do. I'll be blessed by doing them, as will others. And God indeed will be blessed by my aligning myself to the ways in which he's leading me in walking. God has set before me an invitation to walk in his ways, to put my efforts into serving him and others by doing those things he has uniquely shaped me for. And as I walk this walk, he will bless me. I will find it the best way to live. The message version of the verse we're looking at, Ephesians 2.10, uses the phrase to join him in the work he does. And as we do good works that God has prepared for us to do, as we walk in them, we're not walking alone, just walking and working at the same time. We're aligning our life in cooperation to God's calling. We're therefore indeed joining him in the work that he is doing. So let me just pause here and ask you, how are you doing? Do you feel like you are freely and lightly walking with God? Or does life feel like it's pretty hard at the moment? Jesus said he came to give us life and life to the full. And in using the word full, he didn't mean that our diary would be crammed and we would be constantly busy. He came to give us life in all its fullness, in all its richness, but there can be a million things which have the potential to rob us of really experiencing that. I don't need to remind any of you who have small children that family life, as wonderful and precious as it is, can be hard work. I know that some of you have extremely, extremely demanding jobs. You're working in very high-pressure environments or with a very high workload. Perhaps some of you have been serving hard in an area of ministry organized here at Trent maybe leading a small group week in, week out for years. You know, when we have a leaders meeting, we celebrate people who are faithfully serving in leadership and we, have, we give little awards out and everyone applauds them for two years and going strong. Yeah, that's probably like nearly 100 meetings they've led in their home or in some other venue. And then we have four years and six years in going strong, eight years. We've had at least, and we may have had longer, but 12 years in going strong. That's potentially 500 small group meetings that they've had to prepare for and do something for, plus all the projects and outreach things they've done, plus all the pastoral care of the people in their groups. That's flat out amazing. But I tell you, small group leaders get tired, worn out, and burned out if they're not careful. Does that describe you this evening? If it does, Jesus has some good news for you. He offers us a way to recover our life to live freely and lightly. And so first here, he says in Matthew 11, come to me. 
come to me. A life of living freely and lightly begins with coming to Jesus, with realizing that we cannot thrive in life outside of relationship with him. That is where abundant life, life to the full, is found. If you have not yet come to Jesus, committed your life to following him and walking with him, he's extending that invitation to you this evening. Jesus is saying to you, come to me. For some of us, we need to come back to Jesus. Perhaps we've been following him for quite a while, but the closeness of that relationship isn't what it once was. And Jesus is saying to you tonight, come to me. And then he says, get away with me and keep company with me. Get away with me, keep company with me. Life has so many demands, responsibilities, and obligations which call for our attention. If we're not careful, we will be consumed by them. It'll fill every waking moment. We can so easily find we have very little time left over to spend with Jesus, to spend time with God the Father. We may try to squeeze in brief moments of quiet time with Him, but life has a tendency to fill at least all our waking hours and we have to make a very deliberate choice to get away, to spend time with Jesus, focusing our attention on him. As we do so, he promises stuff's going to change. He will give us a real rest. Rest from the swirl of activity which so easily fills our time. In my life, there are seasons, there are times of intense workload, long hours, and sometimes there are times when the pace is much more manageable. If I waited for a slow day to spend time with the Lord, I could find myself waiting a very long time. And so I have to be quite deliberate in prioritizing time to get away with God, to keep company with Him. I'm not very good at having a quiet time every morning, as I know some of you do, and all respect to you, Having walked with God for most of my life, I've found what works for me. I'm not very disciplined, evidently, when it comes to an exact time each day. But, uh, you know, I still have a lot of growing to do in this, but connecting with God is very important to me. And so I've found the way that works for me. I have a very flexible working schedule, and so I have the freedom to vary the rhythm of time with God. And I would encourage you not to uh, necessarily adopt someone else's pattern, but find what works for you in keeping your relationship with him fresh and life-giving. So don't go away from here tonight saying, oh, John just said he doesn't have a daily quiet time at certain times, so I'm free from ever having to do that again. And, uh, and then you might discover three weeks later you've not opened your Bible once and you've not actually really spent any time praying. Don't take what I do and don't take what someone else does. Find out what works for you and your schedule, as it were, and do it. It is absolutely crucial that we stay connected to God, to have a vital relationship with Jesus. And as Jesus said, he is the vine and we're the branches. And, you know, branches don't do well trying to strive to produce fruit. You get dry, wrinkled fruit or it tastes really bad unless the branch is attached to the vine. You need that sap flowing. We need it flowing through us in order to uh, be fruitful. So just a few things that I do. Often if I wake up in the night, I will pray. 
I will often pray in the few minutes between my alarm clock going off and getting out of bed, just starting the day, good morning, Lord, and talking about the things I've got on. Could you help me with this? This is going to be tough. And uh, thank you so much for that, that sort of thing, just connecting with him at the beginning. Because although, you know, and one connects through the day, I connect through the day as well as these particular times, just one's thoughts go to the Lord. But uh, starting the day I found really, really helpful to do. Often when I first get to my study, I will sit in my leather armchair and I may read the Bible, I may pray and may journal. Sometimes I'll go and sit by a river or a lake just to be with God in a very slow way. Sometimes I'll go for a walk and talk all the way to God. I might be praying in tongues, I might be singing in tongues as well as in English. And on balmy evenings like last night, sit on our patio reflecting with God on the day. So there's freedom. There's freedom. Find what works for you, but don't use that as an excuse not to have a vital connection with God. Get away with me. Keep company with me, Jesus says. Jesus also invites us to walk with me and work with me. And this phrase captures what I mentioned earlier from Deuteronomy 30:16 and 1 Kings 2:3, walking in his ways. And Ephesians 2:10, joining him in the work he does. So walk with me and work with me. The two are intertwined and it speaks of the journey of life, walking with Jesus, walking in obedience to him, walking in step with his spirit. And as we saw earlier, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. As we walk with Jesus, we work with him. Not alone, trying our hardest to do good works and don't do too many naughty things, you know, trying to strive to be good the whole time and do the things that we think Christians should do. As we walk with Jesus, we work with him. We join him in the work that he is doing. Jesus is with us every moment of our day. It's a wonderful thing that we never walk alone. Sam, who often helps me write talks, told me that when her old job was really stressful, she used to imagine Jesus physically in the room. And her office had a spare chair in it, which she nicknamed Jesus's chair. And she did the same thing when she was in difficult meetings. There was always an extra chair in the room, uh, which was Jesus's. And for her, that simple act gave her a real sense that Jesus was with her. She wasn't alone ever in the work that she was doing. Each of us will find different ways to refocus and remind ourselves that we are walking and working with him. Jesus says, watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. As Jesus went about doing the work that his father had given him to do, he modeled for us something very special. Firstly, he only did what he saw his father doing. There were plenty of good works Jesus could have done. Crowds of people followed him pretty much everywhere he went, and they had many needs. They were constantly pressing in on him. They were hoping that he would meet those needs. And yet in the Gospels, we see him withdrawing and leaving the crowds to spend time with his father and uh, with uh, his friends as well. We see Luke 5, 16, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And we see when Jesus had a big decision on or there's a lot of stress in his life, he would just take off, just go and pray. 
And so for me, like walking down the river and praying or disappearing off, sit by a river, uh, would be often not in the easy times when, yeah, I can spare, I can spare an hour and a half. I probably wouldn't do it. I'd probably like, I don't know, watch Netflix or something. But when it's like, oh my goodness, I'm under so much pressure, that's when I suddenly say, do you know, I'm out of here, I'm gone, and I'll maybe, you know, be two hours before I come back, recentering myself and connecting more deeply with God. As well as withdrawing alone to be with his father, he withdrew from the crowds to spend time with his friends. So Mark 6, 31, for instance, then because so many people were coming and going that they didn't even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. He purposefully made space in his life so that he could recognize the voice of his father and respond to it. And Jesus here says, watch how I do it. And we will do best in this life if we imitate what Jesus modeled to us. He says, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And I love that phrase. It makes me think of music, obviously rhythms, and uh, there are different types of rhythms. Imagine, first of all, a cat jumping onto a piano and with its paws padding around. A lot of notes, you know not designed to be played together, creating this awful, rhythmless, discordant sound. Compare that to something like jazz music. I'm not a huge fan of jazz, but I did have an experience which was absolutely, I've just thought, this is amazing. And it was many decades ago, I spent an evening in a smoke-filled jazz bar in Copenhagen and loved it. And um, when it's done well, it's amazing. Now, these guys, there were four, I guess, older guys, probably way younger than I am now, but they seemed at the time. But one had a saxophone, there was a piano, double bass, drums. And it was evident they weren't actually playing from a score or like a song, you know, music sheet. They were just jamming. And it would just flowed and one to the other and a lot of improvisation, freely flowing with different instruments coming to the fore and the saxophone, saxophone, and then it would go back, and the piano would do something, and the double bass, boom, 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 boom. I can't even do the rhythms of, of jazz. But um, it all kind of flowed together, and instruments sometimes appearing to play different rhythms, which, when I looked it up, it's called syncopation. There's, you can get rhythms bouncing off each other that are slightly different, and at playing at different pitches, and yet it flowed together in a rather magical way, free-flowing unforced rhythms. And I think this is what Jesus is getting at here. We might have a lot going on in our lives, but if we're doing the things that we're designed to do, including rest, it works. Jazz doesn't look like, to me anyway, that it should work. How can you have different rhythms at the same time? And yet, it flows together and it works. Unforced rhythms of grace speaks of living with a sense of freedom and living with a sense of rhythm, times of hard work and times of rest. The rhythms, it says here, of grace. Now, grace means, speaks of favor, it speaks of blessing, of God's goodness flowing in our lives, the unforced rhythms of grace. Jesus goes on, I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. The good works which God prepared in advance for us to do are perfectly designed to fit us with our, you know, fit with our talents, our gifts, the way we are uniquely wired. We are, Ephesians 2.10, we are God's handiwork. We are God's masterpiece. 
Each of us is perfectly designed by the perfect designer for what he's called us to do. He created us in Christ Jesus to do good works, uniquely chosen and crafted by God for us. And he says here, he won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on us. Other translations of this verse say, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, as you know, probably a yoke is a piece of wood which rested on the shoulders of an ox and attached to it would be the cart or plow or whatever it was pulling. What Jesus is saying here is that the load he's asking us to pull will not be too heavy for us. And as long as we're doing the good works which he's prepared for us to do, they will fit. The yoke would often be adapted to fit an individual ox so that it you know, fits snugly over its neck. And as you know, every ox is shaped slightly differently to the next one. And the owner of the ox would carve away all the sharp edges and then actually probably actually contour it to fit exactly his animal that probably he would work with for years. So it fit really well. Incidentally, if you're in a season of feeling that your yoke isn't easy and your burdens are too heavy, it may be a couple of things. It may be that you're doing some good works which God designed for someone else to do. And it would be worth looking at what you're carrying and actually seeing if there's anything you can say no to or pass on for someone else to do. So you can experience the easy yoke that Jesus promises. But as I've looked at this text over many years, you know, your yoke is easy, your burden is light. It's like, ah, why is this not working for me then? Because this doesn't feel light, this feels heavy, it doesn't feel easy, it feels hard. All of us probably have known seasons like that. And um, it's worth, I think, in those times, asking yourself, are we carrying the weight that Jesus wants us to carry? Are we actually carrying the good works he's created advanced for us to do? Is actually the, the weight that the yoke is on us? Or are we carrying something more? Are we accidentally taking responsibility for something that isn't our responsibility? Often the stress, I think, that comes with, oh my goodness, how are we going to do this? I've got this, and this pressure and this stress, is possibly because we are taking on too much. So, for instance, uh, as Debbie and I lead this church, we also, in half our time, lead another 120 churches at the movement across the vineyard in the UK and Ireland. And uh, there's always a week in which it, one or the other, there's something stressful going on. It's like, oh my goodness, how we do? Oh, the budget doesn't look like it's going to match the, you know, the income's not going to match the budget. Or we've got to, oh, this person's leaving, so we need to hire someone to replace them. Oh, but we can't see anybody. Who could it possibly be? Oh my goodness, how are we going to do this? And one thing that's really, really helped me over recent years as we've do, been doing these two roles is to realize it's not ultimately, ultimately my responsibility. I am not, with Debbie, the leader of this church. I am not, with Debbie, the leader of the Vineyard Movement in this country. I am the assistant leader with Debbie. I'm the assistant leader of this church and of this movement. That's really quite stress-relieving when you think about it. Whose church is this? God's, right? Whose movement is this? God's. And I get to be assistant leader, which is great. And it's a whole lot less stressful to be the assistant leader, I can tell you, than the primary point person leader. So God carries that. He knows when a staff member leaves, when we planted Tom and Helen out, who's going to fill some gaps? Well, it's like, well, I've got a plan. I mean, that's the good works I'm calling them to do right now. They're going to go to Derby. And I've got all these other people I want to make opportunity for, and I'm developing them, giving them gifts and skills and opportunity, and it's going to be absolutely fantastic. And you think, if only I'd, like, not stressed about it for months, all these things, 
I could have just let you carry that weight and my yoke would have been easy and my burden would have been light. So this whole thing is something that God has been speaking to me about recently, as you see, but also over a period of years, reminding me that he has designed good works for me to walk in. The, the way he has marked out for me includes obviously working. God has set before me an invitation to walk in his ways, to put my efforts into serving him and others, doing those things he's uniquely shaped me for. And as I walk this walk, he will bless me. I will find it to be the best way to live. And I believe that he would want to extend this invitation to all of us here this evening. To remind us all, no matter where we are in our experience with Jesus, that he has designed us uniquely with gifts and talents that he wants to use for his amazing purposes. And through all of the passages that we've looked at today, we can see that we don't need to strive to make sure that we are fulfilling those purposes, to cram our time with good works. Rather, he's inviting us to come to him, to come back to him if we've wandered off, to walk and work with him, and to find the unforced rhythms of grace that he is offering us. Thank you.